go back to um, uh, Samuel. Um, um, we're, we're going to Samuel ch- chapter one, or sorry, verse one, um, book one, first Samuel uh, chapter six. Um, so we're really, we're really picking up where we left off um, a, a few weeks ago. I know uh, Rufus gave an overview a couple of weeks ago. Um, but we're picking off up where we where we left off, which was the ark had been taken by the Israelites to try and defeat the Philistines, um, but um, it, it it essentially backfired, and the Philistines defeated the, the Israelites, and they they took the ark with them. Um, but when they took the ark, uh, God came in judgment on on the Philistines, and um, there was a uh, an out, outbreak, a plague of of um, rats and tumors, presumably caused by by the rats, and um, a lot of death on on the the Philistine um, camp or the, the Philistine people. So that's where we pick up. It's First Samuel chapter six, verse one. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners saying, what should we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. So they said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it away empty. But by all means, return it to him with a trespass offering. Then, then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Just a second. Apologies. I had to sort out the Philistines. <laughs> Our kids were, <laughs> weren't behaving themselves. So, um, Sorry. So let, let, I'll, I'll begin again uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines, seven months. And the Philistines called the priests for the priests and the diviners, saying, What should we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us, how should we send it to its place? So they said, If you send the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed. And it will be known to you why his hand has not been removed from you. <clears throat> then they said, what is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? And they answered, five gold tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all you and your lords. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land. And you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods and from your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaohs hardened their hearts? When he did mighty things among them, they did not let the people go that they made apart. Now, therefore, make a new cart, take two milk cows, which have never been yoked, and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side. 
then send it away and let it go. And watch, if it goes up to the road to its own territory, to Bet-Shemesh, then he has done this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that has struck us. It has happened by chance. Then the men did so, and they took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chests with the gold rats and the images of their tumors. Then the cows headed straight for the road to Bet Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went. And they did not turn aside to the right hand or the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Bet Shemesh. Now the people of Bet Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Then the cart came down into the field of Joshua Bet Shemesh, of Bet Shemesh, and stood there. A large stone was there. So they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took the ark of the Lord and the chest that was in it, which were with the articles of gold, and they put them on the large stone. Then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel, on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. Then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people. And the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjat Jerim, saying, the Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. Then the men of Kirjat Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son to keep the ark of the Lord. Lord, we just pray for your um, word now that it would go forth, Lord, and accomplish um, all that it was set forth to do, Lord. It would not return to you void, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So thank you for your, your patience there. Thank you for your patience. It was quite, quite a long, long passage. Um, Today, we really want to focus on the holiness of God. And I, I think this is one of the, one of the themes of, of this passage, is, is the holiness of God. It's, I suppose it's not a topic that we look at too often, um, but it's something that we do really need to consider, the holiness of God. So what, what, does, what does holiness mean? What does holiness mean? I think often when we think of holiness, we think of, you know, someone who is a holy Joe. They're very um, pious. They won't do this and they won't do that. And, you know, very religious. <clears throat> what holiness 
the, the definition or, or the, the meaning in the Hebrew of, of holy means to be set apart or to be separate. And that really is um, a good, a, a more accurate um, understanding uh, definition of the word holy in the context of God. We know that God is holy. He's holy by necessity in that he is separate by necessity because um, he, is, he is pure and, we, and we're not. He can't, he can't mix. Um, but he's also holy by nature. And by that, I mean he is separate. He is different. He is distinct from us. I was just thinking of a few areas how, how he is different. So he is pure and we are sinful. He is spirit and we are flesh. He is creator and we are created. He is immortal and we are mortal. And he is eternal and we are finite so god is he is just separate he is dis different distinct from us and as as rufus was saying earlier you know god made us in his image he made us in his image and yet we are because of all for all these reasons we are we are separate from God. And in order to connect, as Rufus said, in order to connect to God, something much must bridge that separation. It's like, it is like oil and water. Then the very nature of God is so separate, so distinct from man, that there's no human possible way for us to connect uh, or integrate uh, with, with, with God. And this passage really um, highlights that. The, the passage focuses on the ark, right from chapter four to, to chapter six. The passage is all about the ark of the Lord. We don't see any mention of the, the chief protagonist, if you like, of, of the book of Samuel. The ark. There's Samuel, David, and Saul. But in, these, in this these three chapters we don't hear any mention of of any of them and the focus is very much on the ark of god which we said a, a couple of weeks ago was a symbol for the presence and the power of god it was also a symbol for if you like for the holiness the holiness of god and we see when it was taken away um in, in, to the Philistines who were worshipping other gods, it led to, to destruction. And whenever we think of, of the holiness of God, there's always judgment, is, is, if you like, is, is nearby. The two are very, very much linked. God and his holiness, and where there is unholiness, there is judgment, as we, as we saw with the, the Philistines. When we think of the Israelites, at this point, they were, 
they were what we call a theocracy. They were, they had no king, but they were moving. We, the book of Samuel sees Israel move from a theocracy where God is, is their ruler to uh, a monarchy where eventually they, they get a king like all, all the other nations. But for the moment, God was their king and God promised he would fight their battles. God would fight their battles. They wouldn't need a king. God was, would fight their battles. But, but in order for, for God to fight their battles, his presence was going to go with them. But then for, in order for his presence, his holy presence to go with the Israelites, certain conditions needed to be in place. Because I, as I said, God is just so different to, to man. I even th- I think of, you know, sometimes you think, I mentioned before about evolution, but you think about evolution, you know, they, they try and explain where we came from. But ultimately, when you go back to the beginning, there has to have been something before the beginning. Uh, and and that, that beginning was, before beginning uh, was God. God existed. And the question then, we then have this question, you know, well, if God existed, you know, what came before God or who created God? And of course, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a red herring because God is not created. He is the creator. And we cannot even understand who he is. We can't fully understand his nature uh, with, our, with, our, with our human mind because he is God. In order, he is diff again. He is just so different to us, just so different. We cannot understand him, and because he is so different, he can't. We can't just coexist. There's no. There is no connection. There is no connection between us and God on human terms. And so, for the Israelites to have the presence of God, or or the the glory of the presence of God with them in their midst, certain conditions have to have to be met. There was no human, human way that this could happen. Only God could, could, could make that way happen. And so in order to, if you like, facilitate the presence, the holy presence of God being in their midst, there were several things that needed to be happen. First of all, the nation of Israel had to be set apart. The nation of Israel was set apart. And then as well as the nation being set apart, there was a tribe set apart, the tribe of uh, the Levites. They were set apart to minister for God. And then within that tribe of Levites, there were, specific families who are set apart for specific roles and one of those families were the were known as the co the kohathites the sons of koah and they had a very specific role in in looking after the holy instruments or, or holy utensils in 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 the tabernacle including the ark of the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. So basically they had to look after everything, but they were told um, 
these are holy and they have to be treated in a holy manner. All these utensils. So the utensils were holy. There were holy days set apart for God. And then there was holy sacrifices set apart again for God. So in order for God, if you like, to coexist with Israel, his presence to coexist with Israel, in order for this theocracy to work, there had to be a setting apart, a setting apart, a holy a holy system, if you like, um, for, in order for God uh, to, to dwell and for the presence of God to dwell and for the, that connection to happen between, between man and God. And so when that whole system broke down, as it did, it had by the time um, Eli, the, the priest Eli and his sons uh, were ministering, you know, everything, everything started to, 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 to crumble. It seemed like an absolutely impossible task when you think of it on a human perspective, absolutely impossible for, for, such a, for a nation and a, and a, to be so holy and set apart from God. And yet in the Old Testament, throughout the, um, the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, the, the Torah, and particularly in the book of Leviticus, God says, be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Now it's quite obvious that the Israelites did not live up to that, um, that high, high calling of being holy. They just did, they just couldn't, they just couldn't do it um, of their own. And so that's why the ark was removed from Israel. That's why the Philistines took the ark. And so we have this situation where the Philistines now are bearing the brunt of God's holy judgment. And they want to get rid of the ark as, 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 as quick as they can. And so they consult the diviners who, who probably would have been familiar with the Israelites and the practices of, of, of the, um, the Israelite priests. And they, they said, you need to make a, a sacrifice. And it wasn't any old sacrifice. It was a sacrifice that involved, an expensive sacrifice involved gold. And it also involved taking uh, two cows who had not been yoked. So they were still being, uh, they were still with their, their calves and a new cart. It was, a, it was an expensive sacrifice. It was a sacrifice that had, had meaning. And so even though the, in their ignorance, the Philistines didn't, um, you know, didn't fully understand the, 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 the template that God has set down for the sacrificial template uh, for worshipping him, they understood that they needed to, to, to have a real act of contrition for taking the ark in the first place. And they did that, and, and God appeared to accept uh, their sacrifice. And so... The two cows go off to Bet Shemesh. Well, they, the two roads are taken. They went off to the road of Bet Shemesh. And it's an amazing um, that these two cows, they were lowing. So presumably they were missing their, their, their calves. And naturally, they would have gone back to their calves. But God had directed them uh, very spe specifically to go on this, this highway to 
the city or the town of, of Beth Shemesh. So they were carrying the presence of the ark, the presence of God in, in the ark, um, or the symbol of the presence of God um, in, in the ark of the covenant. It's encouraging in one way to think that if God can use two cows to carry the ark of the covenant, you know, how much more can he direct us? How much more can God direct us? If you're, if you're, if you feel you're at a crossroads in life or you're at a fork in your life and you don't know which way to go, if you humbly, humbly, humbly sit, submit to God, he will direct your paths. He will direct you in paths of righteousness. God, if he can use those two cows, he, he can definitely, he can definitely use you. He just wants hum humility and he, and he wants obedience. So they brought the ark and the ark came back to the town of Beth Shemesh. And what's interesting about this town is that it was, if you may remember, I think uh, Rufus touched on it before when we were in the book of Joshua, there were certain towns that were set, set apart for, for the Levites to live in because they didn't have their own inheritance. And one of those towns was the town of Beth Shemesh. And most of these towns tended to be near to Jerusalem or near to Shiloh, so facilitate the priests in their, their sacrificial duties, their priestly duties. And this town was the town of Beth Shemesh. And when they saw the ark coming, they were delighted that the ark had come back. Um, however, if they realized what was going to happen soon after, they, they probably wouldn't have been so um, enthusiastic. But initially they were delighted. And, and this town was so, they were the it was a Levitical town but not only was it a Levitical town, it was also um, one of the towns that was um, apportioned to the, the Kohatites, which you mentioned earlier. So they, these were the people who were responsible um, for um, looking after the ark and looking after the various utensils in, within, the, within the tabernacle um, and particularly within the Holy of Holies. And so they sacrificed... Um, to God. Now they weren't, they, they didn't do it as strictly by the book because it was meant to be a male, a male um, sacrifice, but it was, it was a female sacrifice. But because there was no tabernacle in Shiloh, you know, perhaps God overlooked that. We don't know. But what they, what they did do that they shouldn't have done is uh, the, the scripture says they looked into the Ark of the Covenant. They looked into the Ark of the Covenant. And it specifically says in Numbers, Chapter four. Numbers chapter four, verse 20, when the, the Kohatites were being instructed as to how to look after um, the, the articles of, of the tabernacle. It, well, let's start in verse 17. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Do not cut off the tribe of the family of the Kohathites from among the Levites, but do this in regard to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. Aaron and his son shall go in and appoint each of them to his service and his task, but they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are be, being covered, lest they die 
And so what they used to do, what, what they would do was they would cover all the holy things in, um, in a cloth, in a blue cloth, cloth or in badger skins. And they weren't allowed to look at them because they were, holy, they were deemed as holy. They were set apart. There was nothing holy about the, in, in the physical thing themselves, but because they were set apart for God, they were holy. And the Kohathites were not allowed to look at them. But when the ark comes into Beth Shemesh, what do they do? They don't even look, just look at the ark of the covenant. They look into the ark of the covenant. They take off the cover and they look into the ark of the covenant. It was a it was a, a foolhardy thing to do. They should have known much better, and it was what we call a, a presumptuous sin. And because of that, the judgment of God came upon uh, the people of Beth Shemesh. And as I said. Judgment is often synonymous with the holiness of God, where the holiness of God um, meets disobedience, so to speak, there is judgment. And it says over 50,000 people were killed. Now, another translation says it was actually only 70 out of 50,000, but the principle is the same. God requires holiness. God requires holiness. And here um, they were doing exactly what they were told not to do. Exactly what they were told not to do. And it's interesting as well, what is in the Ark? In the Ark of the Covenant is the covenant. The covenant that God made with Israel. He says, you know, if you obey my commands, I will bless you. But if you disobey my commands, there will be a curse will come on, will come upon you. So not only was the ark symbolic of the holiness of God, it was symbolic of, of, the, of the covenant that God had made with Israel, which talked of his holiness. And so God, in a sense, it almost seemed like he'd, he'd set up a very hard task for the people of Israel to, to be holy as the Lord their God was holy. How could humans be holy? How could they be set apart? Well, they could be set apart from not uh, observing, doing what, what the nations around them did and doing exactly what God had said. But this, this proved an impossible task. So what was the point of all this? The point of all this was to show that there was only one way there was only one way that man could connect as rufus said that man could connect with god it was very specific it was the, the israelites were set apart the levites were set apart um and then there was a specific day etc they were set apart because there was only one way and when that way was not adhered to God brought his judgment on, 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 the, on the nation of, of Israel. And so the, the people of Beth Shemesh didn't know what to do. And they cried out in 1 Samuel chapter 6. What is part, I think, is the crucial verse in this passage. 
He said, 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20, And the men of Bethshemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And it's a great question. Who is able to stand before a holy God? He is so absolutely different to us in every way. How can we possibly stand before him? And who, to whom shall it go up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kerjat Jerim, saying, the Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. So the men of Kerjat Jerim came up and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated his son Eleazar to keep the ark of the Lord. Now what's interesting here is Eleazar I'm sorry, not Abimadab. I'm not pronouncing it right. But that actually means father, or generous father, or the father who gives generously. The father who gives generously. And he gives generously here in that he consecrates, he sets apart. So consecration is another word for setting apart. He sets apart his son to look after the ark and his son his name was Eliezer which was a name that was was synonymous with, with the in, in many ways with the priest of one of the the first priests high priest was 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 Eliezer but Eliezer means the power of God the power of God and we know that God our father in his generosity he set apart his son Jesus so that we that so that he if you like would would look after the presence of God in our lives and it is only by his power that we can actually have the presence of God in our lives so the scripture said you know the Israelites said who can stand before this holy God. None of us can stand before the holy God, holy Lord God. And yet, and yet, we can't stand before him, and yet God chooses to live within us. This holy God where, you know, with so many regulations, yet he chooses to live within us. And the reason that he can live in within us is because he set apart his son, the Lord Jesus. And through the power of God within us, that uh, with Jesus living within us, that we can have the presence of God living in us. So there is no human way that we can approach God. And when you think about it, you could think of all any kind of, human strategies to try and sort it out but the whole priesthood the whole ritual it was essentially the best that could be done but it wasn't good enough there was no possible way humanly speaking that we could think of to connect with god so god 
only God had the, the wherewithal, so to speak, to come up with a solution. And that solution was to consecrate his son, the Lord Jesus, as a sacrifice that we could connect with a holy God. And I think sometimes it is something that we forget the holiness of God, not just the fact that he is, you know, he's righteous and he's good and he's, he's pure and all that, but that he's completely different from us. He's completely different from us. And there's no human way that we can relate to him. There's no human way that we can approach him because it is like oil and water. His nature is completely different. And yet he has, in his infinite wisdom, had devised a way that we can actually connect with God. It's interesting, in, 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 in Matthew, Jesus talks about the law of God. And, you know, we know that the law shows us our, it shows us how um, our inability, if you like, to, to meet God's standard. And yet Jesus in Matthew chapter five, he says, in Matthew chapter five, verse 17, he says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. The law, there is nothing wrong in itself with the law because the law, if you like, points to who God is. It points to the holiness and nature and character of God. It's just we can't, we can't, um, we can't live up to that. That's the problem because we're human. We can't possibly live up to it. But Jesus says, I have come to fulfill that law. I haven't come to abolish it. I have to come come to fulfill it and he filled it in in, in himself of course in his, but not just in his death uh, his resurrection but in his whole life um, he fulfilled it and so he goes on then to say he talks Jesus talks about you know it's not just about you murdering someone who murders someone or someone who commits adultery if you are angry with someone in your heart or if you lust after someone else's wife in your, in your heart, that's as bad as, as, as adultery. That's as bad as murder. And what Jesus was getting at here was it wasn't the outward observance of the law. It was what was in our, in our hearts um, that, that need, needed to be, to be changed. And he goes on to say, he goes on to say in, in Matthew, at the end of that chapter, he says, therefore, he says, you shall be perfect or you shall be holy as your father in heaven is perfect as your, or as you know, as the father in heaven is, is holy. So the fact that Jesus has fulfilled the law that he has brought us to God because we're not holy. He is still wants us to be holy. And that comes not from the outward observance, but becomes first and foremost from the attitude of our heart. And we know um, God says he will, he will give us, he write, write tablets on, the, on a, not a hearts of stone, on, on tablets of stone. He will write 
the law, not on tablets of stone, but on the hearts of flesh. So what's, what should our, our response, what should our response be? We know that we cannot stand before a holy God. Who is able to stand? None of us can stand before a holy God. And yet God still calls us to be holy as he is holy. First Peter chapter chapter one. Peter writing, he says, therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he who called is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. God still wants us to be holy. We first obviously need to recognize that, you know, we, you know, we can't possibly, no, we can't possibly be holy because we are so opposite, if you like, or so different to God. God is holy. He is separate from us. There's no way we can do it. But God has, has made the way. We know that God has made the way through Jesus Christ. But he still calls us in response uh, to be holy in, in the attitudes of our heart, in, in the things we do, the things we, the places we go, the things we say, all of these things, because God is holy, he wants us to be holy. So we need to humble ourselves before God and say, we can't do it, Lord. We can't do it. But we can do it through Jesus, through that Eleazar, God is powerful. Through the power of God, we can be made holy. Our hearts, our attitudes can change when we look to Jesus for, for, that, for that power. You know, the ark came back to, to, to Israel and it, was, it brought with it judgment. And there is a day of judgment when, when Jesus is coming back. We know that. It will be a day of judgment when Jesus returns. And in Hebrews, it says, as you see the day approaching. Just bear me a second. It says, um, let us con consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhort one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We know that Jesus is coming back one day, and he will become coming back as, as, as the judge uh, of the earth. God wants us, um, he wants us to be holy, to live a holy life, and none of us, we need to recognize that none of us can do it in ourselves. But God is calling us to do it through Jesus, through the power that Jesus gives. Not so much in outward observance, but in the attitudes of our heart. And finally, just in Galatians chapter 5. 
walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these things are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law Father, I hope, I hope uh, something, Lord, uh, of what I said makes sense, uh, Lord. I pray whatever was of myself, you would just take away, Lord. But I do pray that you will <clears throat> give us a renewed sense, Lord, of your holiness, Father, of your holiness, Lord, and of our need uh, for Jesus. Amen.